Good morning again, everybody. Um, We are beginning a new series in a different door over the period of Lent called Divine Disruption. And it's this idea um, during Lent and during a lot of times in our lives where um, God comes in unexpected ways. Um, In the scripture that we read this morning, Jesus is led into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. And in this series of temptations, um, we find that he is prepared to be what God wanted him to be. Right? This is uh, almost a testing period. He shows up and in the midst of temptation, right, um, rejects the temptation and lives into what God was calling him to be. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a biblical number uh, of 40. But I think, too, a lot about temptation. And in our modern context, a lot of times, instead of using temptation, we say, well, do you just have enough willpower, right? Um, And we think that, like, if we have enough willpower, we can accomplish a whole lot. We know that Jesus has an exceptional amount of willpower, having not eaten, having not had anything to drink, right? Um, Having no access to DoorDash or Grubhub or anything like that. Um, When faced with the temptation to make his own food, he says no. When faced with the temptation to rule the world as he would want to rule it instead of as God would want to have it ruled, he says no. And so when faced with temptations that any of us would probably fail on on a daily basis, Jesus has an incredible amount of willpower. And I've been thinking about this question a lot because um, I am on TikTok, uh, and there is a a trend on TikTok that they have of trying to figure out, like, how generous people are, right? Um, And so they're like, hey, would you want to do this for, like, $10, right? And there's a, there's a threshold here, right? There, what kind of stuff are we talking about? Like, do what? What kind of thing? I mean, for some, it's like, hey, right, do you want to keep this $10 for yourself? Or do you want to double it and give it to the next person? Oh, okay. Right? Okay. And oftentimes, given a camera in front of people, what we have found is people will want to be perceived as altruistic. But if you take the camera away, or if they don't know the camera is there, they are far, far more likely to keep it. Mm-hmm. But I was struck by the idea of, um, you know, there's a, there's a game we used to play when I was in high school called, um, would you do this for, you know, 15 bucks, right? Okay. And the, the game typically was we were in a restaurant and we were going to take the food in the restaurant and make it absolutely disgusting. <laughs> and then, right, we start putting money on the table to try to get somebody to eat it. And there are things that people, at least my high school friends, would eat for $15 that they weren't going to eat for five. Oof. Like, what are we talking? Like a ketchup, mustard, honey concoction? Probably, sort of stuff? probably more pepper than honey. You Oof. Know? Yeah. Um, but, I don't know. But this is the thing. There are things, I think, in our own lives, too, right? That if I said, okay, like, Carol, would you go do this for $5? You would say no. But for like 100 you might go, mm, I'd consider it. True. And I think that that is, you know, all across the, the spectrum, uh, you know, with our children. Um, I mean, I can get Preston to do some things for $5 that are really amazing, like weed the entire front yard uh, for $5, which is a real deal with inflation and if you know what uh, landscaping costs are. Um, but I think if I said one, he'd be like, no, not worth it, which that's how my son talks. He has a, he has a voice like that. So. He does not sound like that at all, but I like exactly your impression like of him. 
It's interesting uh, that I like this podcast called No Stupid Questions, and they did a series um, a while ago on um, temptation. And part of it is one of the um, the podcast hosts, Angela, is actually writing a book on self-control and willpower. Mm-hmm. And part of her research, as she has kind of looked at, you know, self-control, is there's a group of people who thought, you know what, if you have good moral character, then you're going to have that moral character across the board. Whether you are at work, or if you're at home, or you're in the grocery store, right? If you have good moral character, it should just be the same all the way across. Um, And what they found out was that just because people had extraordinary self-control or willpower in one area doesn't mean it's across the board. Mm -hmm. So she looked at people like um, Elliot Spitzer and Tiger Woods, right? People who had extraordinary self-control and willpower and dedication to, right, for Tiger Woods, his sport, and yet made some really poor choices in Mm -hmm. other departments. Mm -hmm. And she was trying to figure out, okay, well, what causes that? Right, because surely, if you have self that much self control, that much willpower, that should translate and correlate across everything that you do. And what she found is that oftentimes we are controlled in one area and not in another, mm-hmm. because there are ways we behave at home that we would never behave in the office. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, when we were talking about this earlier, we were saying that I would I would never dream of yelling at you, but. I mean, if John leaves his socks on the stairs, <laughs> I might need to raise my voice about this. So I, I, I get it. That, that, is, that is something that we do. And I think um, another piece of this that um, sort of connects to me is when you were talking about on the YouTube videos, how when they knew that someone was watching, it caused different behavior. And so I think that is why, one reason why we see some interesting differences between what someone's public persona is, Tiger Woods, the greatest of all time, hardest worker, but in his personal life, maybe that he thought to an extent people wouldn't see or people wouldn't know, um, that was when some things deteriorated. Um, which I, th- I think that those sort of correlate a little bit. Well, and part of the research that she found was people got lost in the short-term gains. Mm. They didn't think about, like Tiger Woods didn't think about a week from now Tiger Woods. Right. He thought about the 10-minute Tiger Woods and the, the pleasure that he would have in the moment versus the lo- he never thought about the long-term consequences. Sure. Right? Or that it would become so public. Yeah. You know? Well... <laughs> So very public. I can still remember the the time when the news broke of him being in the car when the golf club hit the windshield or something. I still remember that. And I think it was because it was such a shock, right? It was such a departure from the character that that we knew. Yeah, well, and now, in the same way, everybody knows about John's socks on the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't do that. That that is... That's not real. (laughs) It's too late, Carol. It's out there in the world. Um, But part of what I think is so interesting um, in the midst of this conversation on temptation is we all face temptations in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the seven deadly sins, which we did a series on um, around this time last year, 
um, really categorize the ways in which, uh, you know, somebody spent a lot of time actually um, analyzing human behavior when they came up with the seven deadly sins because these really are the categories by which we become tempted. But one of the things that Angela does in her book um, that she's writing, it's not out yet, um, she's previewing it on the podcast, is they kind of took it and, and brought it into categories, right? So you talk about the sin of sloth, right? Um, there is sloth at work, and then there's sloth at home. Mm. And sloth at work is, you know, you're procrastinating, you're not really getting your stuff done. or what. And a lot of people don't have sloth at work, but then when they get home, right, they're not going to exercise, they're sitting on the couch, um, you know, cooking is too hard, so microwave it is. And so she breaks sloth down into this, like, double category of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not slothful at work, mm. but I am slothful at home. Mm. Um, and so it, again, is that we're not the same across the board, right? There are things that we would do at home that we wouldn't do um, at work or other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, I think of that in, in my personal life. There are things that I feel like I am extremely disciplined in, in in one way. So for example, when it comes to finances, I feel like I am extremely disciplined in how I spend my money. I'm not the type of person that um, wastes money. I would never gamble money away, that sort of thing. But send me into a Joann's and all bets are off. So like, I, I do understand that. And, and, and more seriously, something that I, I find myself doing... Um, that that is such a temptation for me in my own life is trying to compare myself to others. Mm. So I think on the outside, I would be like, oh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not looking into the comparison game. I, I don't it doesn't matter to me if this person's child is you know, an accelerated reader and extremely prestigious, but inside I, I am. That's, that's a real personal temptation that, that I, I face is that comparison game. And again, I would never project that to the world, but behind the scenes, that is something that I struggle with. That's how I used to talk to the, when I was in student ministry, I called it the comparison trap. Mm. Right, um, and you know that that old saying, "Comparison is the thief of joy," mm-hmm. is true. Yeah, and we do that in our own faith walks as well, right? We go, "Oh man, that that person has a relationship with Christ that yeah. I don't have." Right, mm-hmm. that person they read their Bible. I bet they read it every day. Sure. Right, um, I bet they figured out how to pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. Right, um, I, I bet they go see the pastor every day and take Holy Communion before they go to work. Right, they just seem in some way more Christian than we are. Mm. Um, and yet we all have our own walk and our, our own journey that we are taking in the midst of that. But comparison really is a thief of joy and, and parenting especially. We're always, you know, we are surrounded by other people who have kids our age who are in different stages of development. And so you start really going, okay, well, should, should she be reading at four years old? <laughs> right? There's a... There's a four-year-old in her preschool class who's reading. Should uh-huh. she be reading? Is she behind? <laughs> Does she need a tutor? Right? Like, should we be, should we be concerned? Right. Should we have her tested? Right? And like, there's no world where a four-year-old should be reading. Right? But because there's another four-year-old in the four-year-old class that is reading, all of a sudden, we feel like we need to be doing that. Sure. And that, that's a temptation, right? I mean, there are so many other temptations that we face all the time, but the, I think the comparison temptation is, is certainly one, I mean, one of them that's, that's yeah. on the menu for many of us. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't think it's one we think about a lot. Right, right. right. Um, and yet, right, Jesus reminds us often, right, not to compare ourselves to our neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. One of the ways that he says it is take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the splinter out of mm-hmm. your neighbors. Because a lot of times we are comparing and going, mm, I wish I was like that, or mm, should my children be there? But more often than not, what we're saying is, have you seen this person? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and we, we compare down mm-hmm. instead of compare up. And more often than not, people compare down when, when we start talking about like, oh, like, you know, uh, do, you, do you feel like you have enough? Do you feel wealthy? People are like, well, no, because like my neighbor drives a Lexus and I've got a Toyota Camry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's that reminder, too, of if you have a roof over your head, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest population. True. Um, and never once in my life have I woken up in the morning and said, mm, feel pretty wealthy today. Right. Right? Um, it's just not something that we do. And so that, that comparison, uh, the temptation towards comparison, I think, is, is really difficult. Yeah. So I've got a question for you. When we're thinking about all of this and, and we're seeing how Jesus was able to turn away the temptation that he faced when he was in the wilderness. What are ways that we in our own lives can turn away from that temptation? So, you know, the the temptation that I have to compare, for example, or the temptation that many of us have to be one person at work and one person at home. How do we do that? How do we follow Jesus in that way? Well, I think we, we get a great example of the way that Jesus prepared himself before going to be tempted, Ooh, right? Mm-hmm. He goes to his baptism, which is also a ritual cleansing, and then is led into the wilderness to be tempted, right? Um, but he also chooses to go. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, he fasts, he prays, he connects with God. Um, he doesn't just go in and say, okay, I'm ready, Right. right, And I think often we are faced most with temptation when we aren't prepared. Mm. Right? Um, when you just walk into Joanne's with no list. Absolutely. You're going to walk out with too much fabric. Right. And no budget, no yeah. plan. Like, that, that makes right. absolute sense. And you have that problem with Joanne's. I have that problem at Costco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, y'all, if you can get out of Costco for under $300, come talk to me. I need help. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's just... Um, and then too, you know, we have the association of the term, uh, the devil in the Greek, it's also the tempter. Um, but the, the period here too is Jesus is led into the wilderness and like Israel, Jesus's faithfulness to God is tested in the wilderness. So we as modern readers are supposed to read back into this, into these other stories, right? Jesus is led specifically into wilderness. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights, much like Noah was on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. And then it's supposed to harken back to the original temptation between mm. Adam and Eve and the serpent. And there, humanity fell here, humanity has been prepared to rise, mm-hmm. right? And so there is some associations we make here too. But I think that the most, to, to really answer your question, the, the most that we can do is to be fully prepared, mm-hmm. but also to know that our circumstances do dictate how we behave more than we think, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I, the Greek word, um, uh, that I, I can't think of, but the word character comes from the Greek, 
right? And it actually comes from the mold or press that you would make currency from, right? That's how you get the character on the currency. Um, And so when we think about character, we think of it as this stamped, rigid, this is who I am, Mm. right? Nobody wakes up and thinks, you know what, I'm going to be a different person at work today (laughs) than I am at home, right? Um, But our circumstances and the expectations of who we're supposed to be in those circumstances dictate a lot of who we are. And so some of it really is, okay, well, am I in a good circumstance, Mm. right? Jesus placed himself in the circumstances of temptation. He was fully prepared, Mm. having spent time in prayer, time in fasting, um, time in knowing and understanding who God was, right? In the same way, we fully prepare our own hearts and our own minds and our own souls for that as well, but God is also with us. Mm. And it's not like Jesus was ever alone in the wilderness. That's true. And I think that is something that we can do in this Lenten season. We have the opportunity to pray, to fast, to prepare ourselves, to pick out those things in our lives that we realize aren't helping us, aren't good for us, aren't good for people around us. And that's one thing that I love about Lent. In my Lenten practice, I have an opportunity that when certain times of the day come along, that is my opportunity to say, okay, God, let's spend some time together and let me think about my life in a new way. Let me take this time to pray so that when I move out into the rest of the year, I, I am more prepared. Not to say that it's going to be perfect because, as you said, I need God. I need God to be with me. I can't do that on my own. But I think that is something that I love about Lent is that it is a restorative time to prepare for those other things that are inevitably going to come at us because life happens. And someone asked me today, they were like, okay, um, the other day, they were like, so Christopher, I mean, how would you describe Lent really to somebody who has no idea what it is? And I was like, oh, it's basically like the Christian version of like a New Year's resolution, (laughs) right? Um, Because we, we have this period that begins on Ash Wednesday where we say, okay, well, how do I make commitments to renew my relationship with God so that when we come to Easter once again, I am changed in some way. Mm -hmm. And so we make commitments to try to read scripture. We make commitments to fasting. Um, We make commitments to uh, spending time in prayer. And we are making commitments, but they are spiritual commitments, Mm -hmm. right? They're not, um, oh, well, I'm going to try to lose weight. I'm going to try to. And I know that there are people who say, well, during the period of Lent, I'm going to give up chocolate, Mm. which is a worthwhile endeavor. But you're trying to, in that way, better yourself and not better your relationship with God. Mm, mm -hmm. So if you are going to give up chocolate, right, um, then my suggestion always is like, well, every time you think about chocolate, spend some time in prayer. Right, right? sure. Um, And so I think there's a juxtaposition there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw something on Facebook this morning that my first youth pastor ever, his wife, had posted. And she said, you know, I wonder if Jesus thinks that it's silly of us to give up things that we love, like chocolate, like um, snacks or whatever it is. And instead, what if we gave up our darkness? What if we brought our deepest hurts to God and worked with God to be relieved of those? Mm. And I thought that that was such an interesting way to put it, like, 
give up our darkness instead of giving up these things, these treats that, that we love in our life. Not to say that it's ever wrong to, to give up um, those sorts of things, as you're saying, as a time to spend in prayer when you're craving those things. But um, how do we give up our darkness in this season? How do we give up um, some things that lead us into temptations that harm us? Yeah, because the, the, the thing about the temptation in the wilderness is that what happens in the wilderness with Jesus doesn't stay in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. the temptation is not that food and power and leadership are inherently wrong, mm-hmm. but rather that they can be used for the wrong ends at the wrong time. Sure. And so later in Jesus' ministry, right, um, he has these opportunities to take what happened in the wilderness but do them for other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of the wilderness where he didn't turn stones into bread to um, take care of his own hunger, um, it, it, it's not long in Matthew before he feeds thousands in the wilderness with just a few loaves and some fish, mm-hmm. right? And he teaches his disciples to pray to God for their daily bread. Mm-hmm. He refuses to take advantage of his relationship um, with God by hurling himself down um, from the heights of the temple. But at the end of his earthly ministry, he endures the taunts of others while trusting God's power mm-hmm. um, to the end of the heights of a Roman cross. Mm-hmm. And then he turns down the devil's offer of political leadership over the kingdoms of the world and instead offers the kingdom of the heavens to all those who follow him in the way of righteousness. Mm. So all of the temptations are in some way reversed for the benefit of the world versus the benefit of one person. And so I I like what you said about, well, should we be giving up the things that we love if it helps you get closer to God, but also you create your wilderness but then it can't stay in the wilderness, mm-hmm. right? During Lent, we create a wilderness for ourselves, a period of preparation. Mm-hmm. And what happens in our wilderness can't stay in our wilderness. It has to in some way go into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what I, I heard through that in, in my own mind was what temptations can we face and deal with that will help us go out into the world and love others better, And I know for me, like I've talked about throughout, laying down that comparison game, gosh, I could love others better that way. And I think that that's what you're saying is that um, Jesus was able to go out and like reverse those, those temptations and do for the world. And I think that that's a really important takeaway is what would it mean for our love of neighbor? And that's the promise of the gospel, right? Um, Matthew twenty eight twenty is one of my favorite verses because it says, um, and be reminded that I will be with you always, mm. even to the end of the age. And so that no matter what we are going through, no matter what wilderness we have either during Lent created for ourselves mm-hmm. or sometimes that the world has created around us, right? Sometimes it feels like we're in the midst of despair and darkness and hurt and we don't know how to get out of it that God is with us and that we are not alone, mm. that Jesus was never alone mm. in the wilderness facing temptation by himself, and neither are we. And in the midst of the things that we are tempted, God is present. Yes. Um, and even though we make mistakes, even though we hurt other people, even though we hurt ourselves, the grace of God is still always going to be offered to us. And as it says in Romans, right, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Mm, big amen to all of that. All right, Carol, any final thoughts this morning? You know, I, I think that 
the reminder of this scripture today, the most powerful thing is that we are not alone in our struggles, that we all have them, that even Jesus faced temptation and he wasn't alone and neither are we. And I think that's the, the overall thought in the midst of this. As we um, look at this scripture at the beginning of the Lenten season, it's because we have, a lot of us, already chosen to give something up. Um, and we've also chosen to try to add something to to pull in God in our lives. Um, but it's that reminder that God is already present in our lives and that part of the work that we do at Lent is recognizing the presence of God in a new way. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that's exactly right, um, that God is with us, that we are not alone, and in the midst of everything that we go through, we're never by ourselves. Right. So, amen. Well, as always, we want to continue the conversation, and so if there was something um, about what we talked about today that stirred up something inside of you, um, maybe you liked what we said and you want to uh, learn more about it, maybe you thought, mm, I disagree with that, um, whatever it is, we'd love to continue that conversation, and so Carol and I will be around afterwards. Um, if you want to talk through uh, scripture or theology or ideology, um, if you're joining us online today, please feel free to message us um, on Facebook, in the comment section, or to send us an email. We'd love to continue the conversation with you.